Foxes and Fowl is a movement committed to exploring and responding to the unexpected ways that God is moving and speaking in and around us. This podcast is part of that. We want to have conversations that matter with folks in all kinds of walks of life because we believe that the God of the Bible so often shows up in surprising and everyday kinds of ways. We want to pay attention and talk about that and just maybe be changed by it all. Thanks for joining the conversation. Hey, I'm Aaron, host of the Foxes and Fowl podcast. My guest today is Emily Logan. Emily is a candidate in the Doctor of Musical Arts program in piano performance. And part of her work towards that degree is, predictably, performance. But the other part is research around performance anxiety, which is an issue that anyone who has to do anything in front of others faces. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you will too. Stick around afterwards for some things I'm taking away from our time. But until then, here's my conversation with Emily Logan. Okay, Emily Logan, welcome to the Foxes and Fowl podcast. Thanks for being here today. How are you? Good. Uh, thanks for having me. It's really exciting to be part of this podcast series. Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, I know we've talked a lot about your work, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to share it with the wider world. <laughs> We're often uh, interested in this podcast um, in ideas of vocation and calling, kind of what we're meant to do with our lives and, and how we figure that out. I know you're a, a, a candidate for a, a, in the Doctor of Musical Arts in Piano Performance, which is a doctoral degree in piano performance. Um, and that's a fairly specialized thing to be thinking about. So I'm wondering if you could kind of uh, tell us why you're pursuing this uh, and how you got here. Um, yeah, so... It's interesting. Uh, I grew up in a home with a piano and by age two and three, I was already becoming more and more drawn to the piano. I was going over. I didn't want to just like bang on it. I wanted to pick out little melodies with one finger. And even by age three, my mom had like written a number system so I could pick out little melodies. So I really started begging for piano lessons probably by age four only to find out that I was apparently too young and had to wait until age seven, which seemed like an absolutely crazy amount of time to a four-year-old, just three <laughs> years. It was like just incredible. So I think finally at six and a half, I started and I was sparked really early on. I remember when I was eight, I asked my piano teacher how I could audition to Mount Allison University in New Brunswick to study music. I kind of already had my sights on that. And it wavered throughout, um, of course, like my childhood and my teenage years, but I always came back to that same goal Mm. that I wanted to, to study music. Like as a teenager, I was already starting to get performances and um, gig opportunities. Um, So I started having a little idea of what a working musician was like by then. And there was something to me that was fascinating about that. Um, I also started teaching piano at age 16 and immediately loved that too. So the idea of pursuing a career in music seemed just like the most obvious answer. It wasn't something at that point. Um, I know a lot of people when they get to high school, they, they, think a lot about what they're going to pursue in university. And it was almost like I didn't go through that as much because I was so focused 
on what I wanted. So focused, um, I think this is an interesting point, so focused that by grade 12 year, I was fed up with high school. Um, it wasn't preparing me for what I needed to do. So uh, my mom and I went to uh, the, the higher level, the district school office and spoke to the high school coordinator and said, okay, Emily needs some flexibility to homeschool, finish her grade 12 year, but also do her intense music study that she needs to do because wow. high school wasn't preparing me in some ways for the level I needed for music. Huh. So I have to thank that, that supervisor so much because he worked with us, found a way that I could go to school in the morning and have my afternoon free to study my music theory and history and practice um, and still graduate with the appropriate number of credits. That I needed. Wow. Yeah, praise God. You got that uh, <laughs> that support. That's great. Um, I, I know that uh, I, I started piano lessons at four and I think it ruined me. <laughs> oh, interesting. So <laughs> I think I was, it was so discouraging. I was, I mean, I, I wasn't naturally talented <laughs> to begin with. So maybe it's um, good that I had to wait. <laughs> perhaps there is some benefit. And I, it's interesting, you're, you're sort of being drawn to the piano in in a particular kind of way my brother is the musician in our well the, the the working musician in our family and uh and he was the same way and like seemed to love to practice in a way that yeah. i never quite comprehended so that that's really cool um and yeah how marvelous that you were supported in that way that's mm -hmm. lots of amazing mentors along the way yeah. And did you do your undergrad in music? Obviously, it sounds like. Yes. <laughs> this has been a pretty consistent. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I did my undergrad in music at Mount Allison University. And then I went straight from there to my master's of music at Ottawa. I took a few years off and I actually worked on a psychology diploma and performance coaching during that time. Oh, cool. um, and then into my doctorate. Good. All right. Well, I want, I want to talk about your doctorate because I think it's really, uh, I think it's really interesting. Um, you, your your thesis is focused on performance anxiety, right? And yes, uh, uh, I, I'd I'd love to know a little bit about about what drew you to that, and and what uh, and maybe <laughs> I don't know how much is kind of secret uh, about uh, the actual work itself until it's done. But if, if whatever you can share, I'd love to hear a little more about it. Yeah, um, no, it's interesting. Um, in my undergrad, I was so performance driven. Of course, I did well in my academics as well, but I was just like very driven towards my performing. And in my master's, I was doing more heavy academic courses. Um, and I went to speak to one of my professors and said, you know, look, I'm a performer and I want to find some way to get sparked about research too. I want, I love academics. I just, I haven't found my spark. And um, I remember him telling at the time, music theory does not have to mean sitting and analyzing scores. Music theory can also involve the theory of performance. And he said, why don't you explore um, performance theory? And he said there, he told me different areas I could look, the mind-body connection. And um, backing up a little bit, the end of my undergrad was very riddled with performance anxiety. I think it was a time when the stakes were getting high all of a sudden. This was no longer just like kind of a hobby or something I did on the side for fun. Um, 
I wanted to get into higher level degrees and yeah, the stakes, the stakes were getting high and there was more on the line of, I needed to be consistent and perform well. So it got pretty severe by the end of my third year to the point where in the beginning of my fourth year, I never, I didn't know if I could continue down the performance line at all. Um, so I started exploring and reading many books at that point and was amazingly able to kind of get to a place where I felt I could go forward. So I think when I started in this master's and I was hearing about performance theory, um, it became really obvious that I wanted to dig deeper into the mind and body connection or relating to performance anxiety and how we could prepare ourselves um, psychologically as well as prepare ourselves pianistically. So that was probably the first research topic I ever got really, really excited about. Cool. Is, is there... Is there anything kind of surprising that you've learned about why we have performance anxiety or how to deal with it? <laughs> yeah, there certainly have been surprising things. I would say, um, you know, there's like the idea of, there's a, you know, we had more dangers in the past as, as humans and we had to have a fight or flight mechanism to protect ourselves against dangers. Mm -hmm. And, Thankfully, we don't run into bears all the time now in the, in the 21st century, but that fight or flight mechanism is still very active. Mm -hmm. Yet for someone who is struggling, just to say it's fight or flight can also be minimizing in some ways because mm -hmm. um, we do, we chuckle about it and we laugh and we think it's like, I do too. I think it's kind of funny, right? But for someone who's struggling, there's no way to really shut that off. So I guess what I've been really surprised about through my work so far is the complexity uh, mm. of performance anxiety, how many different areas and how many different ways it can go and how deep it can go and how unique it is for each person. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think most people who stand up or get up in front of a crowd to do something have some kind of I, I know there are the strange ones who like really, you know, get excited about that. But uh, as someone who stands in front of people every week and has to say something, and I'm sure it does manifest differently for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's, it's going to be important work. I think uh, I, I'm sure that there are lots of students, especially as the stakes get higher. I think that's interesting that when it was kind of fun, it doesn't, you know, you're not quite as nervous, but when it comes down to what your, your vocation is like, to exercising this, this calling on your life. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. That it starts to manifest in different kinds of ways, the intensity ramps up. So mm -hmm. I, I'm glad you're doing it. That, that's, that's cool. Uh, when, when do you expect to be defending that thesis? Um, I'm hoping by the end of summer or early fall. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll watch for it. <laughs> yes. Look forward to celebrating that with you. Um, and, and I, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit, I, uh, I got a chance to see your, 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 the recital that's part of your, your doctoral work. Um, and it, it was, it was amazing. I, I was kind of blown away. I, I'd, I'd never seen you play before. And then you just got up on stage and like tore up this piano. It was amazing. Um, and you certainly didn't present to someone who was anxious about it. And I'm sure there were all kinds of nerves for all appropriate reasons, but I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your own kind of preparation for, uh, for that. Like, and how do you, 
overcome performance anxiety in the way that it manifests for you. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, the three recitals we do as part of the DMA program um, kind of become the equivalent of half of our thesis. Half of our thesis is a written document and the other half is relating to our performances. So each one of those three is quite huge. It involves um, between 70 to 80 minutes of music memorized, unless it's uh, contemporary work that you get special permission to use the score because of complexity. And we're also required to either submit scholarly notes for our audience to read or speak at the same, same time. So um, I chose to speak, which meant that I was kind of on stage for about 90 minutes in total. While my three jury members were buried among the crowd, you have to try to forget about that. So I really started the preparations over a year before for that last third recital with picking the repertoire and starting to get the music under my fingers. Mm -hmm. um, I've been fortunate in Vancouver to have a wonderful uh, private performance coach outside of the university as well. Um, her name is Paula Wise, and she's a fabulous violinist, a musician as well. She performs mm. in the opera orchestra and uh, toured with her quartet for a number of years. And um, she's also pursued her second entrance, which, which is an interest, which is in psychology. And mm -hmm. she is a, now a registered clinical counselor and specializes in working with musicians. So in preparation for the recital, I started working with her on the psychological aspect of preparing for this recital, also probably a year in advance. Um, we found ways that I was going to have small performances throughout the year of little bits of the music to start kind of test running um, parts to see what worked, to see what also needed some beefing up. We started incorporating skills like um, breathing and relaxation skills, visualization skills, confidence building skills. Um, one really amazing skill that I love where I find some of my favorite performers and I actually imagine that I'm them. I imagine <laughs> that my hands are becoming them and that I have like all the prowess that they have when I sit down to play my pieces. So it's all about kind of training the psyche to be ready uh, the endurance of that and, and keeping the mindset. Um, as I got closer, we started with my, with Paula, we started ranging full runs of the concert in less intimidating environments. So I believe I did one at U Hill, a little partial run anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I did some house concerts um, as well. I did a concert in New Brunswick, a full concert um, I did one where I live at Green College as well. So lots of different ways that I could have a chance to see how the program felt from beginning to end under a stressful circumstance. And Paula and I would sit down after each one of these test performances and talk about them, not from a musical point of like, oh, this note was wrong and um, I need to fix this technique, but from a psychological point. How did I feel? Where did I feel that I came disconnected? Where did I feel like my concentration and mindset shifted? What led up to that shift? And how 
or what strategies would I implement so that in the next run through, I would feel a little more confident. So that might've been connecting with a piece with images a little bit more or putting a story or narrative or seeing when I needed to really sit and ground back further. So um, of course, this is all while I'm simultaneously doing the technique and musical prep with my professors sure. at UBC. So I guess what I've learned from my own experience and through the research is that that psychological prep is just as important as the musical prep for yeah. the large performances. It has to occur simultaneously, really. Wow. I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, you, you're sort of in the major leagues of musicians and then there are others of us who are <laughs> in the minor leagues and, you know, beer leagues. Uh, yeah. Do you have any, what would you tell someone who's just, who, who isn't doing this professionally, but, you know, does have to get up and perform? Is there any, uh, any hints or tips or tricks that we can use to overcome the things that make us anxious when we have to get up in front of people? always remembering what helps me is always remembering what my purpose is mm. um what am i actually wanting to do what is my motivation for doing what i'm doing this is something that paula has really helped me with for sure so i often think that um my goal in any performance is really to move my audience or to affect the audience in a way that they leave feeling something that something is fulfilled for them so if I can shift my focus from people are watching me, what if I make a mistake? What are they gonna think to, I'm here to play a role in each individual's life. And I may not know what that role is, but it can have a profound impact. So if I shift to that and I open my own heart to the audience instead of closing it and protecting, and I'm willing to get to a vulnerable state, which means um, I could make mistakes in that vulnerable state, but that's also where the audience is getting moved. Then it's a little bit easier for me because I center around what my intention is, oh. a broader intention. <laughs> that's really beautiful. I, it, it really shifts it as you're offering a gift rather than being judged by <laughs> for what you're doing. Yeah, right. I remember when I... The first sermon I ever preached, um, it was in a pretty big church with, uh, you know, some people who had opinions about things. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I remember I, I came into a, a note from the, the regular preacher uh, that, I mean, the, all I really remember of the note was the reminder that the goal of preaching is to offer good news, right? <laughs> so I was standing up to give good news. Uh, and that really, that just really reframed what I was doing. I mean, it came less about whether or not I speak perfectly or uh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> whether my theology was exactly right, but but that I was striving to offer them something that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So I think that's really remarkable. Yeah, that became your intention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I, I've, I've held on to that, so that that's really helpful. Um, I love the idea that you're you're striving to move your audience. Um, I, I think one of the things about music, is from you know my sort of <laughs> basic understanding, it, it, it's sort of ineffable, right? Like there's not, we are clearly musical beings. I mean, you know, like from the get go, uh, whether we want to plunk melodies on a keyboard or <laughs> just make noise, 
kids want to kids want to make music and, and adults uh, respond to music almost almost all of them um i i wonder why if do you have a do you have a kind of elevator pitch about why music is important i mean you teach music you perform music <laughs> you've devoted your life to music thus far right uh, why why is music important why should someone study music um you know that's like an interesting thing to think about and i guess i like to think about it from a humanity perspective that i think we all need um the arts and music because it brings us to a deeper place and i sometimes equate it a bit with spirituality mm-hmm. and having to me music is the closest thing to a spiritual realm it's like the it's almost for me like almost a direct connection to god as well um there's something about it that just doesn't seem always explainable in this way by our earthly presence, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, it can move the performer to a deeper level into a, a feeling that, I don't know, that they just maybe perhaps don't understand. It can have so many healing benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much development in neuropsychology where we see people with neurological disorders have not, they're not cured for music, but they have symptom reduction to music. And then when we see how our audiences can be affected and the level it brings them to, yeah, I think there's something deeper about music in our souls and our beings that we can't maybe even understand. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think there's a reason, particularly in worship that we we sing (laughs) Uh, you know, there the are things accomplished in mm-hmm. that action that are that are not accomplished just by just by speaking. I remember one poignant moment. I was getting ready. I was in high school, and I was getting ready. I was um, a special guest musician at a different United Church, not the one that I was attending, but a different one. But I had gotten to know through varying capacities the minister at that church. Um, I will always remember him. He has since passed away. Uh, he was quite a musician himself. Um, he proudly went by the name of Dr. Phil. And he <laughs> s- told everyone that he was Dr. Phil long before Dr. Phil was Dr. Phil, <laughs> for sure. And he said to me, as we were getting ready for worship, he said, just play a little heaven. Um, play play a little bit of heaven. That's that's beautiful. I, I like <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I used to, when I, when I would pray with the choir before church, I would pray that our, our voices would be joined with all the choirs of heaven. And I think that's, uh, yeah. I could always tell that, that, you know, that changed what we were doing mm-hmm. uh, at that time and what it meant to sing in worship. Um, that's, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask just sort of what's, uh, I mean, it's probably unfair to ask someone towards the end of their doctoral work, what's next? <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're pretty hyper-focused on, on what you're, you're doing now, but uh, wh- where, where's, what's Emily Logan gonna be doing uh, late next fall? Right, well, um, I still have a huge passion for teaching and sharing music with others. Um, I do already teach at Vancouver Community College and my work there is just incredible and amazing. I love influencing the young adult population and helping them and and the people we have coming back, mature students also at different walks of life, helping them get through their 
um, undergraduate music degree and mm -hmm. find where their path is going to be. Um, so certainly I see post-secondary teaching being a large part of my future as well. And then, well, of course, performing as, you know, if I'm going to teach at a high level, I need to continue being active and learning as a performer. But also if I'm going to satisfy the artistic interests that I have, I need mm -hmm. to also keep up that high level performing. So I see myself continuing to build and perform solo concerts, probably doing more concerts with um, friends or colleagues, singers and instrumentalists, some chamber music. I see that I have a specific interest in working with singers. So I see that growing and expanding um, once some of the, the structure of the doctoral studies actually gets put to the side and I have a bit of extra time. Sure, that'll be a big uh, relief. <laughs> yes, for sure. That's marvelous. I, I was just wondering, I don't know the answer to this. Do you have any recordings? Is there anywhere that people could experience you playing piano if they wanted? Yes, I have a YouTube channel and there are several videos on YouTube if you look for Emily Logan Piano. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I would encourage people to check that out because I've seen it in real life and it's uh, it's pretty remarkable uh, to watch. And um, I'm sure your students uh, are, are really blessed by your <laughs> your encouragement and your work. And, and, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. And I am too. Who knows? You know, I... We never know what the next steps are going to be. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, this has been wonderful. I, I, it's amazing how quickly time goes. But um, I, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day uh, to talk to us a little bit. And um, I'm looking forward to the next time I get to hear you play. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to my conversation with Emily Logan. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Here's some things I'm taking away from our time. While for lots of us, the road towards a calling is rather winding, I love that for others, what you love to do as a child tells something about what you ought to do with your life. I hope there's a little truth in that for everyone. Secondly, Emily's story reminds us of the importance of support, flexibility, and mentorship as we sort out the things we're called to do and pursue those dreams that have been laid on our hearts. If you don't have a team to support you, seek some folks out to do that. If you don't know where to start, I'd suggest prayer. Just ask for it. Third, when the stakes get high, we need resources to move forward in a healthy way. I'm grateful for those who do the work of research and resourcing, whatever the field. Let's take advantage of their wisdom. And finally, whatever you do, remember the reason you're doing it. What's the purpose of your passion? I love the invitation to play a little heaven. May it be so. Thanks to the Foxes and Fowl team, University Hill Congregation, and the Pacific Mountain Region of the United Church of Canada for making this all happen. Thanks to Davis Miller for the tracks. If you like what you hear, like us, follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and share with someone else who might like it. And until next time, grace and peace.